Let's bow. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day to gather together like this as your children, your adopted ones, saved by grace through faith in your precious Son. Father, we thank you that we're able to gather together like this in freedom, to learn your precious word and to learn your treasures for us, the things you want us to live in, to actually enjoy this life despite the devil's world. Father, we also at this point ask for special prayers for those in our congregation who are sick, who are suffering. You know who they are. We ask for special prayers for Melody and her uh, recovery from surgery. We trust she's in your hands as always and we ask that you give her faith and confidence. Father, we at this time also pray for this lesson, this time that we're concentrating on your word, that you give us uh, clarity of mind, that you help us give over our problems to you, and that you teach us supernaturally through your spirit. We humbly come before you now. We ask all these things in Christ's precious name, and it's by the power of your spirit we pray. Amen. Okay, again, our attitude towards wisdom, part two. We'll be uh, going through this series, most likely for the whole week uh, through, through next Thursday. So uh, keep praying for Pastor that he gets a, a good rest, which this is meant for for him. And um, we're going to start off with what we talked about on Tuesday. Give me one second here on the laptop. So the Spirit started us on Tuesday with the importance of having a positive attitude as children of God, which is what just came out in the opening prayer as well. We're children of God. It's only appropriate that we have a positive attitude. And it's because of our relation to God and Christ that we should have supreme confidence in life. And when we don't, we're, we're not looking at things the right way. We should be looking forward to God's provision and faithfulness, even in the face of adversity, even with what Melody's going through now, which was a surprise health issue as far as we know, uh, with many in our congregation that have been sick for years. Uh, whatever the adversity, we should look forward to God's provision and faithfulness and what the end of the story is, in other words, whether it's on earth or in heaven, because we know it ends well for us as children of God, no matter what. So this was a question that came up as I was studying this morning. How do we not hold a positive attitude when we're related to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? How do we not? Like, obviously, it's our own fault. We're, we're forgetful at that point. We, we're delving into the negative. But we're related to the King of the universe by blood, His blood. So turn in your Bibles as a friendly reminder to Revelation 17, verse 14. Revelation 17, 14. I mean, if you're born again, you're related to Jesus Christ by blood. It's not like a, a friendship only, let's say. You know what I mean? It's not just uh, someone you know. You've been adopted into the family, and you're literally a blood brother 
of Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Uh, look at Revelation 17, 14. These will wage war against the Lamb, talking about the end times, and the Lamb will overcome them because he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with him are the called and chosen and faithful. That speaks of believers. Those who are with him are the called, the chosen, and faithful. Go to Revelation 19, verse 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. By the way, there's more evidence that our attitude towards the word or wisdom is our attitude towards Christ, because he is the word, right? Again, verse 13, he's clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So how are we not confident and positive in life, knowing that's our Lord and Savior, and that's our destiny? He's for us and not against us, those of us who trust in him. And one other thing I loved in that, that passage we just read is one of his other titles is called Faithful and True. How, how can we not have a positive attitude when this is who he is? His very character and nature is faithful and true. He won't lose one sheep. So on Tuesday, we talked about how the business world and even psychology today tells people to have a positive attitude. But they do it from, as we talked about on Tuesday, they do it from principle or in principle, but they don't have the power to do that. In other words, how can someone who's relying on their own power actually have a positive attitude? Because they know how weak they are, right? It's so funny. Like, we're so um, ridiculous as members of the human race because when things are going well and we're feeling good, let's say we're healthy, let's say we're strong, let's say we are making money, Right? We, th we feel invulnerable, stupidly, like, like this is going to last, like, like this is the real you, or like you are, you're making this happen for yourself. And then you lose those three things, and you're crying like a baby on the street corner, right? You're like, ah, help me, Dad, help me. That's how weak we are. So we've got people in the world without the Lord trying to have a positive attitude, relying on their own power. And that's just horrible. That's a nightmare. And that's why people go back and forth, back and forth, and they're on tons of medications. It's a nightmare. You can't have confidence in yourself. And they deep down know that, even though they try to fake it. But we have this principle, this uh, having a positive attitude. We have this principle 
as a true principle because we have confidence in the Lord. He's, he's our backer. He's our strength. He's our source. The Bible says he's our rock and our deliverer. And as we just read, he's faithful and true. So God wants we believers to have a positive attitude as we go about life. The King of kings and the Lord of lords is on our side. The one with the sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. You know, I mean, it's indescribable what we're going to see in eternity future. And right now, even, we have the God of all comfort on our side, according to Holy Scripture. The God of all comfort is on our side, no matter what we're going through. So let's just get a glimpse of this to boost our positive attitude, that being in him and not in ourselves. Turn to 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3. 2 Corinthians 1, 3. The only reason we lack a positive attitude as we walk through life is we lack faith in that moment. Because faith gives us all these truths, helps us live in and believe all these truths about who God is. 2 Corinthians 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. I mean, just look at that last verse. Just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. That means... God will give us the measure of comfort we need to match the measure of our suffering. You know, he's not like limited in his amount of comfort he can offer or the way he can offer comfort and, and make us uh, comfortable. <laughs> make us good with where we are. It doesn't matter the degree of the sufferings. He can certainly match anything in this world. So it doesn't matter what we're going through, prosperity or adversity. We live life with a positive attitude because of who's by our side. And he is able to comfort us greatly. So on the board, this was kind of like an introductory theme on Tuesday to this series regarding having a positive attitude. We believers should go about life with a positive attitude for one reason only, not because of us or our wisdom or our strength, etc., because we have confidence in the Lord and his goodness. God is with us and God is for us. Amen? So, like, we can, we can go through anything. We can face anything. It doesn't really matter. With this attitude, with this faith, with the truth about God that we cling to, it doesn't matter what we go through. Our, li our lives are in his hands, aren't they always? And you know, whether, whether it's Melody going through this, this surprise health situation or others in the church going through things, or when you go through a sudden, especially sudden tests tend to really press you, right? And test your faith. Could be financial, could be emotional, who knows? But then you come to the point, you say, okay, 
My life's in the hands of God. Period. And it really, the rubber meets the road, and that's where we all come back to. My life is in the hand of God, and I know I can trust him with it. And to relax in, in those type of pressure situations brings glory to God in front of the angels, and people will see the light shining out of you. But it's not us, right? Our confidence is not in us. Our positive attitude is not us fabricating it or forcing it. It's in the God we serve, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So we're going to look at these verses again real quick. Um, and just remember this too. Whenever we lose our way spiritually, we have to go back to the simplest of truths. Like this on the board. This is a pretty simple truth about who God is and that he is good and he's for us. And these, these very basics can save our lives, so to speak, when we go through trials. So maybe childlike faith again is the most powerful thing that can save us. So on the board, uh, I put Psalm 46.1 up for you in the NIV this time. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. I like that translation, ever-present. He's always there. He's omnipresent, we know. Turn in your Bibles again to uh, Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28. Again, whenever we lose our way spiritually, we have to go back to the simplest of truths, namely who God is. His reliability, if you will. Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? If we're related by blood to Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, how is he not going to freely give us all things? if he's already done the greatest possible thing he could do for us. So we have to stop and remind ourselves of these basic truths, really, and perspectives. It's a perspective that, by faith, gives us a tremendous power to walk in, especially when we're weak and we begin to doubt. We go back to these simple questions. On the board, Jeremiah 20, verse 11, part A in the NIV. But the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior, so my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. Do you believe that? In other words, when you go through a time of attack, someone's attacking you in your family, at work, I don't know, could even be a stranger in some weird situation. Someone's attacking you, especially if it's because you're a believer, then, then you should feel good about that. But 
Is this your attitude that because the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior, my persecutors will stumble and not prevail? In other words, I just can't wait to see the ending to this because I know my God is with me and this is what's going to happen. You may or may not see it. God might not let you see it for some reason, but this is how it goes for believers. And I just read the book of Esther, which includes the fall and the rise of Mordecai, the Jew. All was against Mordecai, and the Jews were about to be wiped out from the land of Persia. They were in exile at this time in the land of Persia. And the Jews, they actually had a plan, the government had a plan, to allow the citizens to wipe out all the Jews on a certain day in the calendar. But God intervened and even turned the tables. And Mordecai went from one under the sentence of death. Mordecai was under the sentence of death. He went from that to the second in command to the king in the land, wearing royal robes and running the entire country, kind of like Joseph when he was in Egypt. Only God can do that. How did that happen? It, it was a desperate situation. It was, there was no hope. But what he did do is, if you read it, he humbled himself before the Lord. He got on his knees, and as they did in the Old Testament, put on sackcloth and mourned for himself and his people and went to God in humility. And God hears the humble prayer. And God fought for him and his people, just like the verse on the board says. But the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior, so my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. So there's no reason for we believers to not have a positive attitude. It's really silly when we don't. Even if we're in the middle of a you know, crisis, to not maintain a positive attitude of the outcome is really just foolishness on our part. If we don't do this on a regular basis, we're letting the flesh dominate our lives. So if this is you and you, you, you can honestly say, you know what, I, I don't generally have a positive attitude as I go through my day. I mean, we're not talking about perfection, we're talking about lifestyle, right? If you can honestly say, I don't have that, you're letting the flesh dominate you. Sin, right? Teshuka. You're letting the flesh dominate you. You're letting the flesh bring you down when you're a child of the king. So that maybe is where we need to repent and be like, Lord, I'm sorry for this lack of faith. I'm such a whatever you want to call it. I was thinking of a couple things. I'm such a this, I'm such a that. Forgive me. Increase my faith. Get on your knees in sackcloth, so to speak, and go to him for that change of heart because something's wrong. The flesh is dominating you. So again, we believers should go about life with a positive attitude for one reason only, because we have confidence in the Lord and his goodness. God is with us and for us, according to Holy Scripture. We have 1 John 4.4 4 in the New Living Translation. For you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. There's a spirit in the world and he's evil. We know that. Satan and the fallen angels and the demons, they're alive and active and at work. And just wicked in the way they use people and, and will also try to attack believers. 
but greater is the spirit who lives in you, lives inside of you. And the minute we forget this, we're just, again, being foolish. So then on Tuesday, this same spirit that lives in us said to us, take this positive attitude of faith about life that you should have and transfer that to a positive attitude towards wisdom. In other words, how do you perceive wisdom? How do you look at wisdom? Do you look at it as a prime treasure in your life? We're to have a positive attitude about gaining wisdom, particularly learning and understanding more about how our God thinks. That's something that we don't always think of. You know, when you go to the Bible and you go to the Word, you might be asking God to help you learn and see what He wants you to, you to see that day, which is great. But how about learning and understanding more about how God thinks? like being on the same wavelength as God, on the same page as God, that he wants us to get there. Knowing our God and Savior better and better is the ultimate goal of gaining wisdom. It's about his person. This came out on Tuesday also. It's about getting to know his person. So we saw this uh, verse on Tuesday also, but this time I'm also giving it to you in the New Living Translation. Jeremiah 9:24. But those who wish to boast should boast in this alone, that they truly know me and understand that I am the Lord, who demonstrates unfailing love and who brings justice and righteousness to the earth, and that I delight in these things. I, the Lord, have spoken. So these are qualities that we just saw in the second half of this verse, qualities of God that he holds to and loves. But if we know him, if we get to know him as a person, we're going to know these qualities. They'll almost be second nature because we get to know him and that he's the God of love, for example. So our series title again is Our Attitude Towards Wisdom. Do we look at wisdom as getting to know our God and Savior on a personal level? getting to know his person? Do we look at wisdom as getting to know our God and Savior on a personal level? Do we look forward with a positive attitude to gaining a greater understanding of God and his thoughts? Almost like, you know, God, let me in on how you're thinking. Let me in on how you think about this situation I'm going through. You know, show me in your word what applies in this situation. How do you view this? So it's like a personal quest to get closer to God. Really, that's what the Word is, right? The Word is God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh. So let's remember, God promises to reveal himself to the humble. Kind of like Mordecai when he was on his knees. When, when you're in that position, physically or spiritually, before God, he promises to reveal himself. That's God's desire for us, to seek and know him, not just his word, to know him through his word. So again, we should always carry with us a positive attitude 
that the Lord will help us get it. He'll help us understand these things, the things of God. There's a phrase in the Bible. Maybe we'll uh, look it up for Sunday. We'll see. But the things of God. Don't you want to know the things of God? You know, things that are totally foreign to uh, humanity in this world. Totally different and supernatural. So we pray because God promises to help us get it that he'll show us himself. Like Moses said, remember Moses said, Lord, show me your glory. Show me your glory. He didn't want all the facts about God. He wanted to see God. And that's the attitude that we should have towards wisdom. We also saw this on uh, Tuesday, just as a little encouragement. 1 John 2, 27 in the NLT. But you have received the Holy Spirit, and he lives within you. So you don't need anyone to teach you what is true. For the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know. And what he teaches is true. It is not a lie. So just as he has taught you, remain in fellowship with Christ. And we talked about how it's the Holy Spirit that even helps us understand what our pastor is teaching us. In other words, the Holy Spirit does the computing for us in our own souls. And God knows we're all different, right? We all think differently. We all look at things a little bit differently. Everyone's unique. And the Holy Spirit's in you saying, okay, I know you. I know how you think. Let me plug this in and plug this in and put this together for you. If you're humble, that's what he does for you. Even with your pastor's teaching or your own Bible reading, the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know. He reveals more and more as we humbly approach his word on a habitual basis. So, on the board, our attitude towards wisdom. By faith, do you have a positive attitude about discovering God's wisdom, expecting to receive understanding from the Spirit each time you open your Bible? I mean, hopefully you at least say a quick prayer when you open your Bible. Hopefully, right? Hopefully you're not so familiar or stuck in a routine that you don't even pause to say, okay, Lord, help me out here. Show me something. Teach me. But do you actually, on top of that, do you expect the Holy Spirit to come through for you each and every time? That should be our attitude. Not because we're good or we're smart or something, but because of him and his faithfulness. So again, on the board, by faith, do you have a positive attitude about discovering God's wisdom, expecting to receive understanding from the Spirit each time you open your Bible? And is it really important to you? Is that your heart's desire, honestly? We talked about this also on Tuesday. If not, are you willing to go to the Lord for help regarding it? Are you willing to humble yourself before him and even ask for a change of attitude? So also on the board, we talked about this on Tuesday, our attitude towards wisdom. Attitude, a close relative of perspective, is something very vital to our spiritual lives. This being so important because God simply and always looks at the heart. 
Again, when you think of heart, think of motivation. Think of why we do what we do. That's what God's looking for. The Spirit had us examining our hearts on Tuesday to discover where we stand in relation to seeking wisdom from God. So here are a couple of key questions that really kind of, you know, set the whole stage, I think, for this series. Key considerations in your soul. Do you look at wisdom as riches and wealth? That's a great question. That's a really important viewpoint that God wants us to hold. Do you look at wisdom as riches and wealth? How often do you pray for wisdom? Another key question. 2 Corinthians 1.10, we'll see that coming up in the series. And Matthew 6.33 and 13.44, we saw on Tuesday, and we'll see them again quickly. But these are two huge questions. God's after our hearts, of course, remember. Do you look at wisdom as riches and wealth? How often do you pray for wisdom? The Bible teaches if you don't look at wisdom as something of priceless value, if that's not how you see it, then you're not seeing clearly. And we've, we've all, all failed in this area or do fail some days, but this is the right viewpoint. We're often on the wrong viewpoint on wisdom. Ironically, God promises to give us the things that we think are going to make us happy, you know, from the world, right? We search in the world for these things to make us happy, to give us peace, to give us love, to give us contentment. He says, if you seek my wisdom first, I'm going to, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to give you all of these things, these gaps that you have in your life or in your soul. And our Lord said this to those who were worrying about the details of life, the ones that were kind of seeking for the wrong things to make them happy or to give them peace or comfort. On the board, Matthew 6.33 in the Amplified, Jesus said, But seek, aim at, and strive after, first of all, His kingdom and His righteousness, His way of doing and being right. Seek that first. And then all these things taken together will be given you besides. God doesn't have limits. It's not like he runs out of ways to fulfill promises or ways to bless us. But he wants our priorities straight. He wants our heart again. He's like, are you going to seek me first? Or are you going to seek me fifth or eighth or tenth after these things that you think you need? That you'll tell your friends you don't need and you know you don't need, but in your soul, you're thinking, I need this, I need this, I need this. i got to get these things my own way. Listen, Solomon's our great example in this area, which we're going to get to on Sunday. Solomon prayed for wisdom, and God granted him all these other things that Solomon chose to put aside to put God first. And so we can learn from his great example. So keep in mind our topic as we go forward here, our attitude towards wisdom on the board. It's coming to see things clearly from God's perspective. And that right there is wisdom. 
It's coming to see things clearly from God's perspective that gives us true freedom in life. True freedom in life. John 8, 31 and 32. Turn there to John 8, 31. You know, we say we want freedom, but we look for it the, like the wrong way, through the wrong things. God's trying to give us the perspective where we'd be happy in a pile of cow dung. No, seriously. He's trying to give us the perspective that we would be to- at total peace and total contentment in a, with nothing on an ash, ash heap like Job. That's there for us to take, so to speak. And if, if all you're after is happiness, then what else would you want? If you truly were happy in your soul in that situation, you wouldn't want for anything. You wouldn't care. You'd just be looking forward to seeing Jesus, and you'd be totally content. But that only comes from seeking God first. That only comes from seeking the truth with the right heart. Look at John 8, 31 and 32. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. It's a big if. We might go back to Matthew six thirty three, right? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. If you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, all these things will be added to you. It's the same principle, right? If you seek my wisdom first, with the right attitude, with a humble heart, if you do that thing, the truth's going to set you free. You're not going to let the things in the world bother you, the things that bother you now, for example. So we have to ask ourselves, do we believe this verse or not? Because if you're honest, we all hang on to thoughts that attaining certain things in the world are going to make us happy and give us freedom. But how long are we going to buy that lie? How long are we going to buy that lie in our own soul? We all do it. There's that little thing in the back of your mind that says, but if I just get this, we all have something in that area. We're buying a lie. God says, if you truly put me first, I'm going to bless you out in every way. You won't have any voids in your life. You won't have any lacks in your life. So it's learning to think like and therefore love like God that will give us happiness and freedom in our hearts. Until we learn to think like him, though, and therefore love like him, we're not going to have the freedom that he designed. Wouldn't it be nice to not care about the things in the world that are propped up in front of us? Like uh, the things that are on our priority list right now in our own souls, right? Wouldn't it be nice if they didn't bother you anymore? Because in in essence, that's what they do, right? They, they, They gnaw at us. They bother us. And we let the flesh entertain those thoughts as though they're real um, sources of happiness. So again, it's learning to think like God and therefore love like God that's going to set us free. It's back to priorities in our soul. 
on the board, key considerations in your soul. What's your heart's desire or attitude towards gaining God's wisdom? Is it truly a priority or desire in your heart? Tough questions. Because if we're honest, we're not, we're not all in. At least not all the time. What's your heart's attitude towards gaining God's wisdom? Is it truly a priority or desire in your heart? Only each of us individually can answer that. We can only examine our own inner motivation. It's between each of us and the Lord. Turn again to Matthew 13, verse 44. Matthew 13, 44. What does it look like, this attitude? You might have had it on the day of your salvation, but maybe you got familiar with God or His Word, or maybe you think you know everything, or maybe the blessings you want aren't in God's timing for you yet. And so we get a little bit... uh, Lack, lack contentment, I guess. Look at the attitude we're supposed to be holding on to. If we're looking at things correctly, Matthew thirteen forty four. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field. Notice it's hidden. Which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. Notice he's seeking. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Do you see the attitude of these people once they discovered the truth? Was this your attitude when you first got saved, when you first surrendered to God in that way? And we're grateful for what he did for you on the cross. But maybe now it's no longer for some reason. This is what saving faith looks like. And therefore, the faith believers carry through the sanctification process. This is what it looks like. This is the heart of a believer. Now, nobody's perfect. We're not saying all the time. But we're talking about habitually, lifestyle, attitude. And if not, maybe we just need to repent and turn to God. Turn away from the things that we think, you know, are going to, whatever it's going to do, right? Ugh, we're so bad. We think they're going to relieve us, quote unquote. And then we're, we find ourselves in chains when we get it our way. So the Spirit had us take this thinking and synthesize it with pastor's principles from his blog on obedience. So synthesize the search for wisdom with principles from the blog on obedience. And as we've been taught, it's how we seek that's important. It's how we seek that's important. And that's what determines what we find. So this also came out on Sunday on the board, freedom or bondage. The approach to truth dictates what you find. The approach to truth dictates what you find. What's your attitude 
when you go to the Word of God. Anyone can seek knowledge for the sake of gaining knowledge, even for personal gain. But to do so out of love for God and your Creator, that's the ultimate motivation. And that's a whole different thing that has true goodness to it. It's what your Heavenly Father is waiting for. So again, the Spirit wants us to synthesize the search for wisdom with principles from Pastor's recent blog on obedience. On the board, a cold shell of obedience. The blog from 8 to 19. There are two kinds of obedience, that which is done in love and that which is not. It's kind of a um, ultimatum, kind of a statement. Like, like there's no in-between. There are two kinds of obedience. Either your obedience, you're obeying out of love, or you're obeying for another reason. And in like manner, there are two ways we can seek wisdom. Out of love or not out of love. How do we seek wisdom, right? We're talking about the approach is what's important. How we, how we seek. How do we seek wisdom? With what attitude? We might rightly ask ourselves, why am I seeking wisdom, if I am, and why am I here at church? Why do I come? And again, we're not, we're not, none of us are perfect. We all fail in these areas. The key is when we find out we're failing, do we turn back to God in humility or not? For, for help with our attitude, for help with our perspective. Again, on the board, there are two kinds of obedience, that which is done in love and that which is not. So are we seeking God's wisdom out of love and appreciation for him or not? It's really that simple. In this series, we're going to see Solomon's prayer for wisdom. And what we're going to see, we're going to uh, each look at it ourselves before we delve into it, but is the love of God, or love for God, his motivation for his prayer or not? We're going to try to examine his motives. On the board, our attitude towards wisdom. For seeking wisdom to be godly, it must be done while maintaining the same love. Turn again to Philippians 2, verse 1. Philippians 2, verse 1. For seeking wisdom to be godly, it must be done while maintaining the same love. In other words, we can seek wisdom for the wrong reasons and have it even be ungodly. Look at Satan, our prime example. He knows the Bible backwards and forwards. He could bury anybody, any pastor, he could bury anybody in the scriptures. But he was seeking wisdom for the wrong reasons, for personal gain, and to help uh, you know, put down some believers in the faith. So again, on the board, for seeking wisdom to be godly, it must be done while maintaining the same love. Philippians 2, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, 
if any affection and compassion. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. I want to know Christ and Him crucified, Paul said. Intent on one purpose. Out of love, I want to get to know this amazing God that died for me. I want to know Him better. I don't want to just gather facts and look smart at parties. I want to know Him. That's the attitude God wants us to adopt. On the board, 1 John 4.19 in the New King James Version says, We love Him because He first loved us. If we're going to pursue the things of God, He desires we do it out of love and not for some other perverted, selfish reason, which a lot of Christians, I believe, in churches do today. It might be to look smart in front of their fellow believer or you know, be the first one to quote the verse when they're quizzed in front of people or, I don't know, to hold a position in the church. God desires we seek Him out of love, not for some perverted, selfish reason. And as came out on Tuesday... Love must not be allowed to go by the wayside. Almost like to slip through our fingers. As we seek Him, I mean, we come here more than once a week, many of you, and we read the blogs and we, we faithfully pursue God through what He's provided for us, all the grace He's provided us. We read our own Bibles. And God says, don't let love slip through the cracks. Don't realize why you're doing all this. Look at the cross if you need a reminder. We love him because he first loved us. Don't lose sight of the proper motivation. It, it, it sets everything backwards in priority. So we've have, we have to be careful not to fall into some intellectual pursuit of some kind. Without love, uh, things are fruitless and empty. And it's the same with the pursuit of wisdom. So on the board regarding perspective on wisdom, God's wisdom is grounded in his love. Gaining his wisdom doesn't only include growing in his love. That would be like an easy way to say it, but it's not really accurate. Gaining his wisdom doesn't only include growing in his love, like it's a sideshow like it's part of it. No, it is it. God's wisdom is infused with love because God is love. So how do you possibly gain God's wisdom without gaining in God's love, if God is love? You don't. You can't. And if you happen to be gaining in wisdom and losing love, or you find yourself, like the blog says, a cold shell of obedience, Something's wrong with your um, viewpoint, your perspective, your priority, your desires of your heart. And God says, repent, turn back to me, ask for help with this. You're off base. So as we pursue his, his wisdom, we have to be growing in love. That's a, a measuring stick. And we talked about the analogy also on Tuesday, if you had a, uh, an oil, right? an oil that was infused with spices or herbs, you can't separate the oil from those spices. 
because it's literally infused. It's literally part of that oil now. That's like how to look at God's wisdom and God's word and who he is. We can't take in God's wisdom without taking in his love. Otherwise, we have a counterfeit on our hands. We become a religious snob as well. So more on perspective on wisdom. If we're just going through the motions and seeking God's wisdom, or we're doing so out of religious obligation or knowledge gathering, and not out of love for God, we're wasting our time. Might as well not even come to class if our attitude's not right. You know, we might need some time alone with God and have it out with Him for whatever's bothering our soul where we're not surrendering in faith as we should be. We're not trusting Him as we should be. We're wasting our time when we do things not out of motivation of love. The Bible couldn't be clearer about that. And that's why this is so uh, dramatically important to us. Because it's all or nothing with God. And when I say that, don't, don't think of perfection. Think of it's either right or wrong. There's two kinds of obedience, right? Out of love or not out of love. It's all or nothing with God. One's right, one's wrong. So love must come first. And so it is with our attitude towards wisdom. And so we check ourselves and we pray, hopefully. And prayer just might save us from ourselves, from our own downward spiral at times. On the board, we saw this on Tuesday. God possesses all wisdom. So number one, that's why we go to him for wisdom. He's the possessor of it. But number two, he knows our every thought already. Therefore, prayer should be a place of utterly honest communication with our Heavenly Father. Have you ever prayed? I, I laugh when I, when I see myself do this. Have you ever prayed and you're holding something back from God? Like you're thinking something, but you're like, no, I don't want to mention that. Isn't that the weirdest, stupidest thing? Because God already knows you're thinking that. And then, you, then you're like, oh, wait a minute. All right, Lord, so let's talk about this thing that's bothering me that's in the way right now. We're so foolish. Uh, but God's like, listen, I'm, I'm your dad. I'm your father. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about all of it. I already know it, son. It's like the four-year-old that doesn't think his father sees what he did. Right? I didn't do it. Right? It's, it's to the nth degree with God, our father. Of course. So again, on the board, therefore, prayer should be a place of utterly honest communication with our Heavenly Father. And when we humbly ask for help, even help with our motivation, he will answer. If we're humble, he's going to answer. We could have the worst attitude some days, right? We all do. If we're humble, we want help with that attitude, he's going to answer it. So go again to Matthew 7, verse 7, as we close. I did not get as far as I wanted, but that's okay. We had a lot of review. <clears throat> and we'll hit some new territory on Sunday. Matthew 7, 7 through 11. Now, Jesus starts this passage with the word ask. So think about asking for wisdom in, in, in context of our study here, okay? 
Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give what is good to those who ask him? And that includes wisdom. If we really want to know, he will give it to us. So there's another reason to have a positive attitude in life. Passages like this that remind us of God's goodness and willingness to reveal everything to us. We might not be ready for quote-unquote everything, but he wants us to know him. God loves us enough to answer our prayers, and so we should love him enough to check ourselves. Another good question to ask as we, you know, going to close in a couple minutes. Do we ask for noble things like wisdom? Do we ask for noble things, for things that God considers good? Or are we just asking for like superficial things? Temporary fixes or things that are selfish. So keep in mind your attitude towards wisdom as we see this also from the blog, A Cold Shell of Obedience. If we're simply going through the motions, we are failing, no matter how magnificent our labors might appear outwardly or even superficially to ourselves in the mirror. We can convince ourselves of an awful lot when we put our minds to it, as we know. The human mind is especially adept at counterfeiting. So what if this is us? I know I'm guilty of this at times, going through the motions. What do we do? How about repent of our bad attitude? You know, instead of that positive attitude towards wisdom and discovering treasures about God, how about we repent of that bad attitude and ask for mercy and ask for an increase in faith and love? Ask and you shall receive. When's the last time you asked, though? When's the last time you asked when you prayed? I mean, if I'm honest, I don't, I don't ask for wisdom the majority of my prayer time, or the times I pray. And maybe this study is to bring it to the forefront for us as, as our priority scale. When's the last time you asked for wisdom, for example? And this is where relationship comes in. Do we really want an intimate relationship with the Lord, or are we just going to take his gifts and run and live our own life? Do we ask him for help every day we're alive? Help with faith in particular. Not just help me do good at my job, right? Help my car run. <laughs> uh, so we'll, I guess, close with this continuance in the blog. Maybe you've been reading your Bible half asleep or you've rushed it like you would a chore. Ouch. We're all guilty of that at times. And how, how do I know we're all guilty of that at times? Because we all become familiar. Let me just get my, my, my chore in today. This is what, my duty. This is what I should do, so I'm going to do it. Maybe you become familiar with your church family 
skipping days when the doors are open and the word is being preached. Maybe you've forgotten to count your blessings. Worst of all, maybe you've become familiar with Christ's work on your behalf. Forgetting that you've been purchased with a price and that your life isn't yours to keep. Wake up, your familiarity has made you bitter. Something to really think about, folks, because if you're bitter, chances are it's from familiarity. It's from lack of appreciation for the things that God's done for us. So I guess we'll close on that note. I was going to get to a particular story, but uh, we'll save that for Sunday. And uh, just uh, dwell on these things as we uh, will get into new territory on Sunday morning. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for calling us out and examining our hearts and helping us examine ourselves. Father, we ask that you increase our faith and help us also increase our love for you and our appreciation for you. Father, we know that this is what you're after and this also should be our priority as we pursue wisdom from you. Father, help us with our motivation. We ask that you guide us by your spirit. Help us ponder the things we need to between now and Sunday. And we ask that you bless us all as we go and help us bring the truth out to this lost and dying world that needs it so desperately. We ask these things in Christ's precious name, and it's by the power of your spirit we pray. Amen.